Hey, so if you want to stick around after today's message, we are going to have our first uh, business meeting. Shouldn't take but maybe five, ten minutes or so. Just want to update you guys on kind of where we're at, what things that we've accomplished to date, what things are still in progress, and where we see ourselves going. So if you want to stick around for that, you are welcome to do it. And um, I wanted to tell you just how excited I am to be here with you tonight. I miss you guys. I feel like it's been forever, even though it's only been since last Sunday, right? But man, I like to see you every week, and I just hate it that it was that long ago. But as if I'm not excited tonight like I typically am, I'm even more excited because I feel like today is going to lay the foundation for where we're going from here. This message that I believe God has placed upon my heart is going to set the table, so to speak, for where we're going. And just to let you know, next week we're going to kick off our first sermon series together. We're going to be in the book of Colossians. Colossians is a, it's only four chapters. Shouldn't take us too long to get through there. But I am really excited about how God has woven tonight's message with the start of the series next week. So I just want to encourage you that if you want to start reading and studying in the book of Colossians, man, feel free to start doing that so that you're ready for what God is going to do in this series together beginning next week. The one thing I want to encourage you is to be a Berean. Okay, You might have heard me say that before. For some of you that don't know, what does that mean by being a Berean? Well, let me just quote some scripture for you. It's Acts chapter 17, verse 11. It says, And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. You see, Bereans, they didn't just take the word as they heard it. They went and actually searched the scriptures out to make sure that what they were hearing was in fact the truth. And so that's my heart's desire for all of you. Don't take my word for it. Go and search the scriptures and allow the Holy Spirit to make sure that we're in alignment. Because I'm just flesh, man, right? I'm just flesh like you, and I make mistakes too. And so we want to make sure that we're in alignment with him. So the only way that you're truly going to grow is if you open that Bible up for yourself and you allow the Holy Spirit to pour into your life. Okay, because there are a lot of people in church today that the only thing they get is what they hear on Sunday when they come in. And for those people, they're starving spiritually. They're starving. That is like a snack each week to hear that. So be a Berean and crack open that Bible, get in there, and watch what the Holy Spirit will reveal to you. It is amazing. Okay? So I'm excited about next week. Colossians, we're going to be in that together. All right, so tonight. For any team to be effective, the members of the team must be united. There cannot be any division among them. Every team member has a role to play. And not every team member plays the same position. Because each position has a specific purpose designed to work together for all the other positions on the team for one goal. And that one goal is to win. Now, winning may look different from one team to the next. You know, some of you might be thinking immediately of a sports team. Some of you might be thinking about a team in the business world. We might even be thinking about teams in a church setting. But regardless of what kind of team it is, for it to be successful, all the team members must be united to reach one goal. And that one goal is to win. And as Christ followers, we too must be united because we are on the same team, and that's God's team. Every time I look at her, I just think she is so adorable. I almost want to just hand the mic to her to see what she'd say. (laughs) We're all on the same team, and that is God's team. And each of us has a specific role to play 
and a specific purpose on God's team. And Jesus explains this in his prayer to his father in John chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. If you've got your Bibles with you, you can open them up. John chapter 17. We'll be in there for just a minute before we bounce around. Beginning in verse 20. Jesus says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the whole world will believe you sent me. And I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. One. As members of God's team, we have got to be one. We have to be united. Just before Jesus was betrayed and he was sent to the cross to die for our sins, he prayed to his father, right, that his disciples and all who would ever believe in him, that all is you and me. That's everyone that would ever believe in him would be one. Being one, being united, was Jesus' prayer for you and for me. And as God's team, we've got one goal, and that goal is to win. Well, what does winning look like? What does winning look like when you're part of God's team? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 21 of that text. He tells us what winning looks like. It's to be so into him that the world will believe, right, that the one and only true God sent his son Jesus into this world to save us from our sins. He reiterates this again in verse 23 when he prays for us to experience such perfect unity that the world will know that God the Father sent his son, his only son, and that God loves you just as much as he loves his son Jesus. There is no greater call on our lives than this, to be one as Jesus calls us to be one. Perfect unity. That's my prayer for each of us today. So let's pray. Father, we invite you here. We ask that you do a mighty work to unite our hearts, that we can lock arms together and that you will do just amazing things through this fellowship right here. We are amazed at what you've done already and we give you glory for that. And we are excited about what's on the horizon and knowing that your word is telling us that to do it and to be successful at it, we've got to be united. And so we thank you. We ask that you just tune our hearts and our minds to hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we move forward with planting this church, it is absolutely critical that we become one and we remain as one. Unfortunately, we have an enemy that wants nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his mission. And he will look for any way that he can to divide us and to devour us. Oftentimes, he will use seemingly insignificant things to drive a wedge between people or to create an offense of some kind, all designed to divide us. But we don't have to fall into the trap, you know, because Satan's been doing this for a long time. You and I are not oblivious to his tricks and his things that he throws at us. We should have learned by now how he interacts and how he does things. So we don't have to fall into that trap. We can choose to maintain unity. Because there is one God, we are one family, and we have one purpose. The Apostle Paul tells us how important this is in Ephesians chapter 4. You got your Bibles, you can flip over to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. 
It says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all in all and living through all. Make every effort, he says. That is critically important. That means we do everything we possibly can to keep ourselves united. And notice that Paul uses the word one seven times in this text. I've talked to you about the number seven before. That is God's holy number. It signifies completeness, and it highlights just how important being one is. Now, Paul is not addressing the world in this text. He's not addressing the world to be one. We know that because, goodness gracious, you can look out in the world today, and we're more divided than we ever, <coughs> excuse me, than we ever have been, aren't we? He's actually speaking to the church. That's who he's talking to. You know why he's speaking to the church? Because it's our unity that will actually lead people to Jesus. That's what leads people to Jesus, unity. And that's why being one is so important. However, this doesn't mean that we all have to agree on everything. We're not trying to create a church where there's sameness, and we agree on everything all the time, everywhere. And every, it's just not, that's not what we're trying to do here. But we do need to agree on the most important things. We're going to major in the majors. You might have heard that before. Major in the majors and let the minors be the minor. So here are the majors. Comes from our text. There's one God, one body of Christ, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one baptism, and one faith. So I'm going to break all this down into the main things that we need to stand united on for us to be an effective and healthy church. This is why I believe this is building the foundation for where we're going from here. And when we unite on these things that I'm going to share tonight, our being one will lead the world to Jesus. It will. I know we can all agree that we have one God. At least I hope we can. There is only one God. There's a lot of little, there's a lot of gods out there with a little G, a lot of things that people have idols to and they bow down and worship and that kind of thing. But there's only one true God. So I think we can agree on that. But we also need to agree that we have one enemy. We have one enemy. There are so many issues that we deal with in this world. So much division, corruption, perversion, evil, and sin. And behind it all, there is one enemy. His first recorded act in the Bible was when he deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden. Because he's a deceiver. Jesus says in John 8, 44, that there is no truth in him, that he is a murderer and the father of lies. Revelations 12, 9 says he is the deceiver of the whole world. Revelation 12, 10 says he is the accuser of the brethren. 1 Peter 5, 8 says he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for who he can devour. And in John chapter 10, verse 10, we know from the words of Jesus that our enemy's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Our enemy is not a person. Our enemy is the devil, and his name is Satan. Let's call him for who he is. And remember, he's a deceiver, so he's going to make us think that our enemy is someone that we disagree with. He's going to make us think that it's someone who hurts us. He's going to make us think that it's someone who made us mad or someone who offends us. 
Perhaps he'll even convince us that our enemy is a politician. But we've got to remind ourselves that we are not fighting against flesh and blood uh, enemies. We are not fighting against people. We are fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We have to recognize that the battle that we all face is a spiritual battle. And behind every evil is our one enemy, Satan. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 says, He is the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. He is the commander. Do you hear that? He's the commander of all evil in the world. And he's the one. He's the spirit behind everyone who refuses to obey God. It pains me to see so many people that are twisted up fighting each other over whatever the issue is. Satan loves to get us fighting each other because when we're busy fighting each other, we are not busy doing the work that the Father has ordained for us to do. When we're busy fighting each other, we're not fighting against the real enemy. I want you to imagine with me for a moment. Just imagine if all of God's people were singularly focused on the mission that God has given us in glorifying him and leading people to Jesus. Can you imagine what kind of world we'd live in? We'd be living in right now if that were the case. It'd be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? So the next time that we are tempted to argue with someone or take an offense from someone, perhaps we should pray instead. The Bible says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So instead of getting all worked up with someone that you disagree with, we should pray for them. Our enemy wants us to hate them while Jesus wants us to love them. So we don't hate people. We hate the deception. We hate the evil. We don't fight people. We fight the battle that's in the spiritual realm. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, in verses 3 through 4, he says, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We've got to be united on this. We are not fighting against people. We are in a fight against one enemy, Satan. So we need to fight with courage. We need to fight using prayer and the word of God. Listen, we don't blast people with the word of God. We share it with people. We speak truth in love. And to defeat deception, we need to use the truth, which means we need to know the truth. Jesus is the truth. He is. He is the way that we defeat our enemy. So we stand united that there is one God and there is one enemy. And the next thing that we must stand united on is that there is one family. That one family is the body of Christ. All of us who have been born again, meaning we who believe and have received Jesus as our Lord and Savior, are part of the family of God. And we all have a part to play in the family of God. Each one of us do. do. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12 that while we are many parts and have different functions, we all are part of the same body, the body of Christ. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul uses the human body to illustrate this point further. Every part of the body is essential 
for the body to function the way God intended it to. Some parts may be more noticeable than others, but every part is equally important because God designed them all to work together for a specific purpose. There is not one body with all the same parts. There are different parts, and they are dependent on one another. Don't think for a moment that a specific body part is not needed. Let's take your big toe, for example. All right, most people, I can't see your big toe. Use flip flip flops. Okay, yeah, I can see your toes. But most of the times when you're out, you don't get to see people's toes, your big toe, rather, because it's got a sock on or a shoe on. So it might not be very noticeable, but your big toe is important to your body. You don't believe me, you can ask Matt when he comes back. You know, Matt had an injury. He just had surgery recently. He's got a pin in his toe right now. Matt, if you're listening, we love you. We want you to heal up because we know you need that big toe. And, you know, if you don't have that big toe, what does it do to your balance? What does it do to you being able to walk and to run? And that big toe works with all the other nine toes because God designed your foot to work together like that, didn't he? The same is true for you in the body of Christ. You have a place, a specific purpose that God designed. You do. And we all have to work together for the church to be effective. So that, that was the illustration that Paul was using in there. So don't ever think that you don't have a role to play because you do. If you're part of God's family, you have a role to play. God has given each of us a specific gift as a part of the body of Christ. He did that so he'll bring glory to himself and will also build up the body using those gifts. Those gifts are not given to you to build yourself up. They're used to build others up. That's why those gifts are given. And our enemy will try to deceive us into thinking that we don't really have anything to contribute. And you know what? He is a liar. You don't have to listen to that when he plants those seeds of doubt in your mind about you don't have anything to offer. How could I ever possibly help? I'm this, I'm that. What a load of bunk. That's just baloney. If you've got breath in your lungs, then you've got purpose to fulfill in the body of Christ. You do. We were not made to be consumers in the church. We were made to be contributors in the church. And the fact is, to successfully plant this church, it's going to take all of us working together, each of us using the gifts that God has given us for his glory. You are wanted and you are needed. I don't want you to ever, ever think anything less. You're wanted and you're needed. Don't, don't believe me? You can read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And that'll clear it up for you really quick. I promise you that. So, now as one family, there are some things that we're going to have to do. Romans chapter 12 says we are, to want, we are to love one another deeply. And love covers a multitude of sins. Love also never gives up. It never loses faith is always helpful, and it endures through every circumstance. We need to remember this the next time someone has a different viewpoint from ours. We have to learn to love people, even those we disagree with. That's really important. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says, We are to be kind and compassionate to one another, and that we are to forgive each other as God forgave us. So we don't hold any grudges. We forgive. Unforgiveness is a cancer, and it has no place in the family of God. In order to be one family, we also need to empathize with one another. We need to feel what others feel. We hurt when others hurt. We rejoice when others rejoice. 
And we can only do that through real relationships. And to have real relationships, we've got to spend time together. That means we've got to do life together. It means we build a community of being connected to one another. That is what we're trying to foster here every week, is that right there. Being a family who fellowships together and genuinely loves and cares for one another. The Bible tells us that we are to love him and his people. Jesus, family, fellowship. That's what the remnant is all about. So we must be united that there is one God and there is one enemy and we are one family. And the last thing that we need to stand united on is that there is one purpose. There is one purpose. For us to have perfect unity that Jesus prayed for just before his death on the cross, we are going to have to be after the same thing. And that should be easy because we all have the same ultimate purpose. We are on this earth to make an eternal difference in the lives of others by making disciples. That's our purpose, to make disciples. And it's clear from Scripture that that was Jesus' purpose too. When he began his public ministry, he chose 12 men to come follow him. When he concluded his public ministry and he left this earth, he gave all of his followers one purpose, to make disciples. We know this from Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18. He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We should take notice of this one purpose, to make disciples. Whether you're a teacher, a doctor, a businessman, a business owner, a preacher, a homemaker, a bus driver, a government worker, or even a construction worker, you were created for one purpose. Whether you have a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, a Ph.D., a GED, or no degree at all, you were created for one purpose. And that one purpose is this. We all exist to follow Jesus and to lead others to do the same. That's what making disciples is all about. Now, in the time that the Bible was written, a disciple then didn't necessarily mean what it means today. Today, when you think of the word disciple, we often think of a learner where you've got a teacher and then you've got a student. But it's not just an academic exercise where the student just sits and learns certain truths. That's not it. A disciple is actually much more than that. A disciple is someone who learns a way of life by following the teacher. And the teacher's life should be modeled after Jesus. So the life of a disciple should reflect what it means to follow Jesus. It simply means being more like Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul, he said this when he spoke to the Corinthians, or excuse me, he spoke to the, uh, the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. No matter where we are, where we work, or what we do, our purpose is to simply help move people closer to Jesus. That's what it's about. This is the purpose you were created for, to become a disciple of Jesus so that you can become a disciple maker for Jesus. Making disciples, now it does include teaching and sharing, but ultimately it is all about following. It's all about following. We follow Jesus so others will follow Jesus. And following Jesus has a cost, doesn't it? 
It has a cost. Some of you may not have heard that, but it does. Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 14 when he's talking about uh, how important it is for us to count the cost. He uses this analogy of a builder who looks at a project and is like, who's going to start the project without figuring out how much it's going to cost so they make sure they have enough money to cover the whole construction project. Otherwise, they're going to make a fool out of themselves because they can't finish, right? We've got to count the cost. And what happens is when we accept Jesus into our life, there's a transfer of ownership that occurs. You're no longer owned by yourself anymore. You now become owned by Jesus, right? And we now release control. It's all now about him. So the real deal with the cost is, It's going to cost you your life. That's what it means when we say, yes, we're going to follow Jesus. It's going to cost you your life. Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. We have to die to ourselves every day. That means our way must become his way. Then there is no room for self. We move away from being selfish and we become selfless. This is the life of a true disciple of Jesus. And that's what we've got to model in discipling others. Jesus' invitation to follow him was not an invitation to come follow him so everything will work out. I don't know what kind of prosperity gospel stuff that is, that we just tell people, yeah, come to Jesus, and man, your whole life's going to be perfect after that. What a load of baloney that is. That's not true at all. It's not like you're going to come to Jesus, you, pr- you pull the proverbial slot machine in the sky, and he just dumps out all this blessing onto you. It doesn't happen that way. Now, he can bless, but if we're coming to Jesus for what we can get rather than, rather than what we can give, we're in some serious trouble. It shouldn't be about that at all. And nor should it be about us coming to him thinking that, oh, I can keep my same lifestyle and just add Jesus to it. Right? I can keep doing everything I was doing before, and now I've got plus Jesus. No, that's not it e- either. This kind of invitation was an invitation to come and die. It was to die to ourselves. Now, I know that's not the typical feel-good message right? that most people talk about when they talk about coming to follow Jesus. But this is the truth. This is the truth. Well, let's not water it down. Following Jesus is all about denying ourselves, living for him, loving him, and loving others. So for us to be one, as Jesus calls us to be one, we have to stand united on these things. There is one God. There is one enemy. We are one family, and each of us has a role to play in that one family. And we have one purpose, to be a disciple of Jesus who becomes a disciple maker of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you gave us the ultimate model in how we're to live our lives. And we know that there is a cost when we say yes to you. And so, Lord, we just invite you to take charge in our lives, that we could just give up and surrender everything to you. Because not only are you our Savior, you're our Lord. And we need to live like that. And so, Father, I just pray if there's anyone here today that's been struggling with how to do that. Maybe they've Uh, came to the conclusion that, yeah, I want Jesus to be my Savior and save me from my sins, but they're not quite ready to make you Lord. If there's someone here like that today, and that's you, I'd like to pray for you. If that's you and you want to make him Lord, you understand the Savior part, but you've had trouble with the Lord part, just slip up your hand so I can pray for you. Anyone have that today?
wants to make him Lord of your life. All right. Others of you may be here and you're like, you know what? I understand that it's going to take one. It's going to take unity. And I might be carrying some baggage around where I have been holding things against people rather than the real enemy that's out there. So if that's you, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you just release us from that. Your word says that we are to cast all of our cares onto you because you care for us. So let us not carry that baggage around. You forgave us. We need to forgive others. So if that's you, I ask that you just consider reaching in and allowing him to offer that forgiveness that you need to, that someone who you may be carrying that around about. So, Lord, we just thank you so much that we are one family. What we're trying to build here is something special. What you've done here in this short amount of time is truly amazing, and we give you glory for it. We ask that you'd encourage us, that you'd bless us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.